First Peter, First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three will begin uh, verse eighteen, and we're coming through this passage on the teaching of the Lord on obeying, relating rightly to one another, on sanctifying the Lord, verse 15, on being ready to give an answer of why we do what we do, of living with a good conscience towards the law regardless of what others do, and and remembering that, as he said in verse 17, it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, this is a, a whole mindset. It's a whole way of thinking. Our spiritual forefathers in the last 200 years and throughout the Philadelphia church period, we're here in 2023, so we're obviously counting down towards the end of this period, which many ha- can agree that it is typified by the Laodicean church of the seven churches, the last church in the book of Revelation, uh, before he starts dealing with the world, with the fullness of the Gentiles, and with <clears throat> Israel. And we would, we would, it would be do us well to note that they believed in standing for the Bible. They believed in preaching it straightforward. They believed in suffering the consequences of preaching it. But they also believed in having a good conscience toward those that are without. And so when we look at this passage, he's going to give us the Lord Jesus Christ as our example. I'm amazed at how easy it is, all of us, we're all this way, but and we have to intentionally not be what I'm about to say. I'm amazed that Christians will pick out what appeals to their carnal nature or their natural way of living, the way they would be whether they were saved or not or had the Bible or not. And I'm amazed at how they pick that out of and, and try to relate it to Christ or relate it to Paul or relate it to Peter or to some other other person in the church age or even the Old Testament. So he's going to give us the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And we mentioned it recently that you know, I had somebody question, ask the question the other day, well, this fellow was talking to somebody and they were the, the fellow was hung up. He was hung up on the fact that Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. And he was speaking of his body. And then there's other places where it says the Father raised him up. And here it says the Spirit raised him up. Well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're three in one. So the entire Godhead was involved in it. He says, verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. And we're going to go into verse 21 with this later where he says the like figure. But let's look at this thing about Christ having once suffered, let's look at verse 19. He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay. <clears throat> and then in verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. 
while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Now, we're going to get the big picture here first. The big picture is that before man was created, there was already a host of heaven, the Bible calls it, a bunch of beings. Before man was created, you had cherubim and seraphim, and you had spirits, and you had angels. And when we read our Bible, it's obvious that that is, that is the majority of what exists. And it existed before he made mankind. So when we look at it from that point of view, what we understand is this is why he said uh, in Psalms, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him. That's why it says in Hebrews 2.9, he had made him to he uh, made him a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So he made him lower than the angels by him taking on human form. So we are lower than the angels in many of the things that we can do. Now he didn't die for the angels. He didn't give the angels ways of redeeming. He didn't give those spirits ways of being redeemed because that's not the system God set up. Someone says, well, why not? Because he's God. Now, look, it is so simple. In fact, honestly, hear me out. The more intelligent you are, and I mean this, the more truly educated you are, the more informed you are, the more it makes sense that things had to be done as God wanted them done, and that is the explanation for them. See, that's not an uneducated, ignorant way of looking at it. No, it's not. He's God. He, he, had, he owned everything before this. He created it. Everything is his. And so everything, including your life, including my life, every other person's life, is his to do with as he pleases. Now, when it came to humans, he created it in such a manner and he made a system that he knew mankind, Adam and Eve, were going to fail at. And he set up a remedy for it from the beginning. And that remedy cost him himself, his own son. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, verse 18. The just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So you see... Everything that goes on is effective when it comes to God's plan because God made the plan. So when God makes a plan, it's safe to follow it. He's God. I, I, I have not a lot of patience with these educated people, I'm talking about Christian educated people who think that there's some burden upon us and upon the Lord to demonstrate and prove and justify his rules. No, he made it all. He made it. And so because he made it, he knows how he wants it to work and he knows how it will work. So when we come to these things, when it comes to the fact, not, let me give you an illustration. You can go to a Christian college, you can go to a seminary, you can go to these places, you can go online now, of course, and everybody's just pumping the stuff out there. So you can watch it in, you know, in videos and listening in 
uh, audio, you can get uh, books, you can get it in, you know, digital form and all that. And you can get all these opinions of what the Bible should say and, and can't say. And so therefore they'll retranslate a passage or say it's unfortunately rendered. When if we would take it as it says and chew on it a while, and it, you might have to absorb it for four or five or 10 or 20 years. One of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard of probably existed in the last 150 years had some passages of scripture that he sat aside for 20 years, kept reading his Bible through multiple times every year, making note of it before he had any real grasp of what he felt like God was saying. In this passage, he's referring to the fact that at the time of Noah, it tells you there were giants. In the book of Genesis, starting in chapter six, it tells you where those giants came from, what they were associated with. We're not going to get into that except to say this. The giants couldn't be redeemed. The spirits couldn't be redeemed. The cherubim and seraphim couldn't be redeemed. And so the ones that sided with Lucifer in the beginning were sentenced. So take the fact that he died for, uh, for mankind, verse 18. Now, by which, by which what? The last word of the, right before that, of this sentence, Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the Spirit, small s, in prison. We know that he went down in the heart of the earth. We know that there were two sides to Abraham's, there was Abraham's bosom and then there was hell, okay? And we know that he went down and the Bible says he preached to him. You said, why? Because God said, this is what I'm going to do to declare it. So he went down there and he preached to him. And it, there's every evidence that he preached to him that you're there for disobedience. And, and you had your one choice. Mankind fell out of disobedience. Romans chapter five, if you're writing it down. Man fell because he disobeyed. The difference is God said, I'm going to set up Something that if you'll obey it, I will redeem you. And so for 4,000 years, he said, if you'll obey what I said and offer the blood of a lamb, I'm going to set aside your sins. They're not totally gone yet. When Jesus Christ came as the Lamb of God, verse 18, he once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. God wiped them out, took the sins away. But these spirits can't have that kind of redemption. And so he goes down and he said in verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein it few, that is eight souls were saved by water. So the entire world of humans also did not listen to Noah's preaching for that hundred plus years. Noah's called a preacher of righteousness. So he's building and he's preaching and he's building and he's preaching. And so what he's doing is, is he is declaring what God wants them to understand. So there are people, creatures, who had a spirit. They didn't have a soul like man. Man became a living soul. They're connected to the angels. Okay? When you think about what God did in the flood, watch, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, 
Well, the ark was a preparing. That's why, that's, that's like southern, southern United States, some of the southern saints, it was a preparing. I'm a going. It was a preparing. He, Noah was a preparing it. Wherein is, wherein few, I'd say so. That is eight souls were saved by water. That's on, that's quite a few compared to the population of the world at the time. Okay? So, what has God been doing? He said over, when he named him Methuselah, Genesis 5, when he is dead, it will come. Methuselah is the longest living human being in the, in the Bible, 969 years, and he dies and Noah's flood comes. There's every evidence. I'll just throw this in. This is, <laughs> this is, this is some Bible too. There's every evidence that God didn't destroy anybody who had believed in God, that he let them all die off naturally and go to Abraham's bosom. Well, that'd be just like God, wouldn't it? Well, what kind of environment did Noah have if, if it was him and his wife and those three boys and their wives and that was it when it came to those who believed in God? God didn't drown out anybody who believed in God. Anybody who trusted him, God didn't drown them out. He let them take the natural course and die off. So there's no doubt that some of this is connected all the way back to Genesis 6 through 9. Why is that important? Because that's that foundation. Listen, do this today. Go out and go outside, first of all. Spend some time outdoors every single day. I don't care if the weather's really bad, raining. I go out, like to go out, put on the right kind of clothing, get out in the rain and just observe what God's doing in nature. Go out at night, look at the stars. Go out and look, and, and look at the different clouds. Go out in the daytime. But go out and look at birds and animals and uh, scuff your toe in the ground and look at ants and bugs and grubs and worms. And understand that this whole world was underwater. And Noah's flood. And God, in his incredible mercy, has over these thousands of years, several thousand years, through him sending man out, telling him to replenish the earth, God has replenished the earth. And his system has replenished the earth. You know, I don't know if you, if you know, many of you, many of you know your Bible. Okay, so what I'm saying is not new to you, but it shouldn't bore you, to be quite honest with you. It should not bore you. But many of you know that when you begin to look at your Bible and you realize the time frame of things that happened, okay, when you begin to read the time frame of Noah's day, okay, when you look at that, there's a basic idea of when that happened. So when you look at the flood itself, you understand that from the time that flood happened and they got off that ark, from them till Christ, you've got a couple thousand years. You know, before your little smart, you know, philosophers show up, you know, Aristotle and Plato and everything, before Columbus goes around and discovers you know, the Americas, that's 3,500, 3,500 years. 
Let's take where I live. I live in the United States of America. United States of America is, is what I call, and I don't call it with any disrespect, we're a baby country. We are a baby country compared to much of the world, most of the world. We are. If you've ever spent any time in the Far East, I've gotten to do that. If you've ever spent any time in Europe, I've gotten to do that. You'll understand that as nations go, we're a very, very baby nation. 200 and some years is very little. It's not very much at all. And if you consider that from the time they left the garden till now, it's been about 6,000 years. And from the flood till Christ is about 2,000 years. And then there's another 2,000, so 4,000 years since they left the ark. And then if you'll look around you and see how fast things can multiply and replenish and stuff, you realize that every bit of this that we find in our Bible is, is not just believable, it's instructive, it's enlightening. So they get off the ark and they are saved. Well, let's look at it, verse 21. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, people take everything out of context, don't they? In Acts 2.38, a water dog, they, we call them, who, want, who says you've got to get in that water to be saved. You know, believe me, baptized. They want, they want to take that first sentence there, but they want to leave out the parentheses. The parentheses says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So he says, the like figure, even whereunto even baptism also doth now save us by the resurrection of the dead. So when a believer partakes of believer's baptism, that's why we say, we take them, we put him under the water, buried in the likeness of his death. We bring the new, the, 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 the new convert, the saint, the Christian up, and we say, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. So it's by that resurrection of the dead. So when we get saved, Romans 6 uses the word baptism, rightly so. It's about us being put into Christ. No water in the passage. But why is this so important? Because he is drawing us into this thing where our mind is stable and solid and our doctrine is pure. We, we don't need to try to reinstate a condition that existed during the time of the reformers. It's a very popular thing now to be Reformed this, Reformed Presbyterian, Reformed Baptist, Reformed this. We're not Reformed. We're just formed in Christ till Christ be formed in you. We're not Reforming anything. For example, I'm not a Protestant, not because I'm a Catholic. I'm not a Protestant because I'm not protesting anything as such. I didn't come out of anything. I was a heathen. God saved me. I got in the book. Now I'm around God's people. And in reality, no matter what kind of you know, experience you might have had or religious, you know, interaction, religious experience you could have had. That's what you are. You're a Christian. And he goes on to say, who is gone into heaven is on the right hand of God. Angels, now mark it, and authorities and powers 
being made subject unto him. Now, this is very important because in verse 21, the issue has always been our conscience, our conscience. The Holy Spirit helps us and washes our conscience so that we can follow God even though the more we read our Bible, the more we, we will get under conviction of how we have lived if we lived any time without Him. Okay? You take someone who comes to Christ, let's say at five or six or seven years old, and people do that. They do. And it does stick with some. It does. But let's say they do that. And then what happens is, okay, they go along and as they get into their teenage years, we'll say, and they get into their 20s, they discover that there's something inside them that fights against what they've heard preached about the Bible. They find that there's something that goes against what they've preached, heard preached and taught about living and doing right. They find that there's this conflict of what they desire to do and also what they think of doing sometimes. Now, if they're not taught about the Spirit-filled life, if they're not taught about the Spirit versus the flesh, they don't understand that. And many a grown-up doesn't understand that. They're like, well, you must not have been saved if you're tempted to go out there with your friends and say, have some alcohol. When they, as an old, crusty, old, grumpy Christian that gossip and backbite all the time, they don't drink alcohol and they don't smoke any kind of dope and they don't go to the casino. No, but you are gossiping, backbiting, all kind of stuff, I can say. But you see, that's what happens. So many times, a person who comes to Christ, the reason these things need to be taught is so that they can understand. And so as we get, when we get saved, the greatest thing, Chambers Devotion today was about that, today, on uh, April the 24th. And so when we get into that, we start realizing that Christ put this away. Our memory isn't like God's memory. Our brain can remember things we don't even want it to. In fact, it often remembers what we don't want it to, and it will conflict with what we want to remember. When he wrote to Titus, he said in Titus 1.15, under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. So this is why we want to, to nurture, to train, to teach, to disciple new Christians. As I was saying about Chambers, his thing was, it's God's place to save people. So if you witness or pass out tracts or you're a preacher, if you're not careful, you think that's all about that part's about you. No, what's about you is what are you going to do and what effect are you having on individuals who come to Christ? Now, I realize some people are in a so-called busy type ministry, but if their goal, their emphasis, their, their life pattern is not reproducing Christ and others by virtue of them living it and teaching it, they're missing the boat. It's based on activity. Do you know the world of business sends out warnings when they make their planners, when they make their calendars about activity and achievement over substance? The world. No scripture, no verses, no Holy Ghost. 
So when he says who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities of powers being made subject unto him. When we read on, and again, like we said, the chapter and verse markings are not, were not originally, so this is like a letter. And he goes and he says, first much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. And we'll get into that. But the only way to get rid of sin is death. So what did Jesus do? He died for us. The only way to become just is un, to just is when we are unjust is for the just to die for us. So he took the wrath to save us. Okay. Now, why is that so important? Is if Simon Peter, for example, had some kind of access or exposure to what Paul wrote in Hebrews, if he did, then it makes all the sense in the world that he talks like he does here, where he says, who has gone into heaven is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So there's every possibility that that did happen. Now, before we close in this one, let's pull this together real quick, verses 18 to verse 22. There is no... Uh, boredom there is no familiarity that we should have when it comes to the atonement and the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his sufferings let's start verse 18 for Christ also hath once suffered for sins how often once the just for the unjust why that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. You know, someone says, well, I don't understand that verse. I do in this way. Ready? God has given you insight. This is amazing to me. God says, i tell you what I'll do. I'll throw you a little bit of information just so you'll know. I got everything covered. Here's what I did when Jesus was in the heart of the earth. He said, as the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, as Noah was, the Son of Man will be. He was three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. He was down there. And God says, it doesn't really matter to you. You're not going to figure it out until you get to heaven and can look up at the big picture. But, verse 19, I'll throw this in there, by the which also. He went and preached on the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing Wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure. You know what he's saying? Humans are totally different than any other creature God made. God made everything. It is not a debate. I appreciate, I appreciate the creation ministries around the world. I, I appreciate them. But they're not going to turn the world upside down with all that. Now, it's great that they want to help people's faith. It's great. But I don't believe the Bible because of everything I've seen, okay? I believe the Bible, and because of that, I see the evidence around me, but I've started with the Bible, and it was the most intelligent, educated, wise thing I've ever done was to put my faith in the Word of God and say, I'm gonna, if it says it, I'm going to trust it, but I'm going to read it cover to cover multiple times before I start trying to figure out what it says, and I'm going to get into somebody who's sound. When someone starts... This happened to me early in my Christian life, very early. When someone starts telling me that what I have right here in front of me ain't, ain't enough, 
and I've got to learn an ancient language or I've got to get filled with the Spirit to the point that I speak funny or have this experience. When someone starts, see, either one of those, both of those are existential out there. One is saying you don't have enough, enough education. The other is saying you don't have enough experience. And when that happens, the alarm bells go off. We go, okay, hold it. No, I'm not like the rest of the spirit world. In fact, the spirit world's looking on. The host of heaven is watching. 99% of what God gets glorified in is what the spirit world sees us think and believe and do, not what the world sees. Think about this. It, if you are going through your life, there's not 20 people that really know what your life is about, even the people you work with. There's not even a handful of people that know your thoughts like God does. But the spirit world watches on and sees this whole big picture and they're watching. And so it's so important that God one day, the Lord said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He said, I have. I go, I go roaming the world, looking the earth, looking for someone that I may devour if you'll give me permission. And I'd like to devour him and show you he's got no, no real faith in you. He's just on a good wicket, as they say in Australia. He's on a good deal. So here in this passage, God says, I'm going to give you some hints. You know why we should be ready, verse 15, to give an answer? Because we learn all this stuff. And this, listen, this stuff goes through my mind all day long, even when I'm, I'm driving nails or I'm <coughs> changing an oil filter or I'm uh, fixing an electrical circuit. It doesn't matter. This stuff's still right there in the forefront of my mind. The spirit world is way more real than what we're working with. And if you want your life to be real, that's how you ought to live. All right, well, we've down through chapter three. I think that's like 17th session, 17th class we've done. And we'll pick it up later in, or next time in chapter four, verse one. Father, we pray you take these things and use them. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for the light you give us from your book. In Jesus' name, amen.